Uh, once again, I want to reiterate that this podcast is not intended to be an extremely elaborate or detailed account of any of the events that I cover over the course of the podcast. All it is is supposed to be a crash course in all of the events that took place that I cover. So, if you want to learn more about anything that I cover on this podcast, I almost want to say visit your local library, but I'm not going to say that. But feel free to do your own research. I always encourage that. So, with that being said, enjoy the show. Welcome again to the podcast. The podcast is Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. I am Tanner, and I talk about stuff that happened. I love history, and uh, that's what I do here. I talk about history and things that interest me, things that maybe interested me a little bit, and I decided to do more research and learn more about them because I like to understand how the world works. That's what I do on this podcast and what I will continue to do on this podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. If you are a return listener, thank you for coming back. I'm glad to have you again. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, go back to uh, Apple Podcasts, um, really wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a five-star review. It really, really helps us get more people involved in the conversation about history and why it's so important. So, with all that fun stuff being said, let's just start right here. This week we're talking about the Russian Revolution, the Russian Revolution that spanned from 1917 to 1923. Uh, this is one of, in my opinion, one of the most fascinating, dramatic events in uh, in modern history. And uh, many argue that this revolution is one of the most pivotal events of the 20th century. And I would agree with that because it began the the uh, the rise of communism properly on a large scale. And that frightened a lot of people and it invigorated a lot of people. And so uh, we're going to investigate this a little bit. So the Russian Revolution was a series of protests, mutinies, government overthrows, and a civil war. That lasted from 1917 to 1923. It was sparked by an economy and an exponentially growing downward spiral, weak leadership, abysmal military performance, and the global shift from monarchy to democracy. The revolution brought drastic changes to the Russian state, morphing its complicated blend of czarist economics into the highly industrialized philosophies of the Soviet Union and doing away with the capitalist sentiments of the Romanov dynasty. At the tail end of the 19th century, things were looking relatively well for the Russian Empire. At that point, the empire itself was glowing in terms of its extent, swallowing modern-day Finland, Ukraine, Poland, Azerbaijan, Belarus, Armenia, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, all, this, all the stands, and more. Despite a painful loss in the Crimean War in 1856, Russia had experienced a modest reform including the beginning of industrialization and the creation of a thriving rail network. But serfdom had only very recently been abolished in the country, and the economy was struggling to adapt to the new rules. This is the situation that Tsar Nicholas II inherited when he ascended to the throne in 1894 at the ripe young age of 26. Now, right now, I'm 23 years old, and I can't imagine taking control of the largest empire in I think in history, at the age of 26, that blows my mind. I say largest in terms of area, not necessarily in terms of population or economy or anything like that, just strictly area, stretching from Poland all the way to the Pacific. That blows my mind. Anyway, 
Nicholas II was a member of the Romanov dynasty, which I mentioned earlier, a ruling family that dated back to the 1600s. The family had produced such rulers as Peter the Great and Alexander the Liberator, and for much of their rule, they'd been held in high esteem by the Russian populace. Nicholas II had been groomed his entire life to ascend to the throne, but he was not a talented ruler, and his reign was plagued by periods of political unrest and protest that more than once resulted in tragedy. In the years following the birth of the 20th century, Russian people were among the most impoverished in the developed world. The Industrial Revolution had come late to the Eastern European Empire, and people had flocked to cities such as St. Petersburg and Moscow in search of work, resulting in extreme overcrowding and abhorrent living conditions. And the exodus of farmers from rural agricultural Russia to the underdeveloped cities resulted in chronic food shortages nationwide. I read a statistic somewhere that Around 16 people lived in an average apartment in St. Petersburg during this time, with about six people to a bedroom. That's incredible to think about. The Russian populace blamed these problems on the monarchy and the, on the unelected Romanov dynasty, and finally, on Tsar Nicholas II. Simultaneous with these Russian problems, much of Europe was abandoning monarchism and adopting a more democratic system of governance, and... The Russian people saw a monarchic form of government as the reason for their problems, as there was very little in the way of due process when decisions in government were made. It stood to reason that a weak leader would lead to a weak country, because that leader had very few people to flush out his ideas with, and the Russian people wanted Nicholas out. In the 1890s, unionization became widespread throughout Europe as a way to counter exploitation in the industrial workforce, which sparked protests when exploitation was uncovered. You can kind of relate that to the social justice that we see today. Someone does something bad, it gets uh, taken on video, goes viral, people get really mad, the person stops doing that thing. That's kind of how this worked. The Russian people caught wind of this and decided to try their luck with it. In 1904, the Assembly of Russian Workingmen was founded, one of the first labor unions in the country. Not necessarily the first, but it was, it was up there with the early ones. And this labor union began planning strikes and staging protests to force Nicholas's hand in industrial reform. But industrialists weren't fans of this wave of unionist ideologies because it meant their profit margins would shrink in order to pay their workers a fair wage. And in December of 1904, four workers at an ironworks company in St. Petersburg were fired for their membership in the Assembly of Russian Working Men, though the company attempted to discredit their claims of such. But despite the company's attempts, word got out and virtually the entire workforce of the company went on strike when the company refused to rehire the four workers. News of this strike spread, and the strike gained, a, gained the sympathy of workers in other industrial centers who also decided to strike in solidarity, demanding larger wages from their respective employers. employers. Within a month... There were 150,000 strikers in St. Petersburg, and the city was without newspaper or electricity. Now remember, this is Russia in January. No electricity presents a significant problem. This became known as the Pudilov incident, and it would be argued that at this point in January of 1905, the Russian Revolution kicked off. On Sunday, January 22, 1905, 
many striking workers gathered at six locations in the industrial outskirts of St. Petersburg. Depending on your source, claims of their numbers range from 3,000 to 50,000. Their mood was light, and their intent was to march on the Winter Palace, the residence of Nicholas II, while remaining peaceful in a show of protest. Unbeknownst to the marchers, the Tsar had received a report that the march was going to take place, and his military leaders had deployed 10,000 troops to guard his Winter Palace, with instructions to halt the demonstrators before they reached the palace square. When the throngs of protesters came within reach of the inner city, communication between units of the Imperial Guard broke down, and their responses to the approaching crowds varied depending on their commanding officer. Some units saluted the posters of the Tsar carried by the groups. Some called on the protesters to disperse, but in several instances, the troops were ordered to fire indiscriminately into the crowds. Men, women, and children began fleeing in the chaos, and in the ensuing panic and continued gunfire, around 1,000 people were killed or wounded by bullets or being trampled. The city fell into anarchy. Widespread looting took place. The Russian people mourned, and the events of January 22, 1905 would come to be known as Bloody Sunday. When the surviving demonstrators learned that Nicholas had fled the Winter Palace when he caught wind of the planned demonstrations, they were furious. They had seen dozens of their friends killed before their very eyes, when Nicholas hadn't even been present to meet the demonstrators as they had hoped. The protests changed little in the workings of the Russian government. The divide between the wealthy classes and the poor classes grew, giving rise to the proletariat, a working class who was constantly inches from poverty while simultaneously controlling the means of production for the wealthy to sell. Months later, Russia would suffer a humiliating defeat at the hands of Japan in the Russo-Japanese War, challenging the already weakened national identity of the Russian people. It was time for change. Strikes broke out across Russia toward the end of 1905, with many militarist factions joining in the fight as a result of the painful loss to the Japanese. As the war had gone south, the crews of many ships had mutinied and refused to fight in a doomed and pointless war, and saw these protests as a way of continuing to demonstrate their disappointment and disapproval of the government. Large strikes occurred in Russian Poland, Russian Latvia, St. Petersburg, and Moscow, where the Russian military again attempted to suppress the demonstrations by force, with more than 200 protesters killed in the streets. By October of 1905, nearly all railway systems in Russia were offline, a heavy blow to a nation as widespread as Russia, and the Tsar knew that he had to act. The Russian government drafted a new constitution, but it had little to do with the protests. It highlighted nationalist ideals and proclaimed a united Russia. The people noticed. After 1905, unrest continued in Russia until the outbreak of World War I, which mobilized the newly industrialized military and gave Nicholas a new powerful propaganda tool, uniting the fractured public against a common enemy, the Central Powers. Nicholas quickly set about launching attacks against Austria, Hungary, and Germany on the Eastern Front, and the Ottoman Empire in the Caucasus Mountains to the south. While the Russian army made headway against the Ottomans, Initial forays into combat on the Eastern Front were catastrophic to Russian military morale, as gruesome defeats grew in number, with body counts rising to the millions. 
In an attempt to restore order to the military, Nicholas appointed himself as the commander-in-chief of the army, which proved to be more detrimental to the war effort than beneficial, as Nicholas had absolutely no experience commanding armies, particularly armies of the size of the Russian military. Reports of corruption and, and incompetence began to circulate, and when Germany refocused its armies on the Eastern Front in 1916, all hell broke loose as Russia suffered even more defeats against the superiorly trained German troops. By January of 1917, morale in the Russian army was at an all-time low, and supply stocks had run completely dry. Soldiers were being sent to the front without boots, without rifles, and without ammunition. In the homeland, the Russian economy was cracking under the pressure of wartime, with inflation rising out of control and discontent among the working class growing. The male population had been sent to the front to die in a war the public did not support, leaving farmlands empty of laborers, and what little food shops had to sell was outrageously priced. The resentment toward the wealthy classes by the proletariat continued to rise. The Tsar was warned by his advisors that action had to be taken in order to maintain the constitution of the country as a whole. But Tsar Nicholas II ignored these warnings. One month later, the city of Petrograd, formerly St. Petersburg, became the first to rise in revolution. Interestingly enough, Petrograd would come to be known later as Leningrad, and then would become again St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg, Petrograd, Leningrad, St. Petersburg. It's a weird thing. But on the 22nd of February, 1917, workers at one of the plants in the city decided to strike, and the strike coincided with a series of rallies to celebrate International Women's Day. When the two demonstrations blended, they quickly became political, and the crowds began marching across the city, calling for workers from factories they passed to join in the strike, gathering a body of 50,000 marchers. The Tsar was alerted, and he elected to send troops into the city to quell the demonstrations as he had done before. Because in the city, there were 180,000 Russian troops stationed, it seemed an easy enough solution. But Nicholas quickly learned that he was wrong in that assumption. While there were 180,000 troops in the city, the vast majority of them were untrained draftees or had been wounded or become sick on the Eastern Front. It's estimated that less than 12,000 troops were actually able to fight at the time of the Tsar's order, but when these troops saw how many elderly people, women, and children were marching in this protest, many refused to fire upon them. Officers went into hiding or were shot rather than attack the demonstrators, as their loyalty no longer rested with the Russian government. With this reluctance, government control of the Petrograd officially ended. The mobs of people tore down all semblance of loyalty to the Tsarist regime around the city and burned effigies of Nicholas. Finally acknowledging that the situation was fully out of his hands, on March 2nd, Nicholas II formally abdicated as the last Tsar of Russia. The Tsarist regime had been in place since 1547, beginning with Ivan the Terrible. It had now come to a whimpering end. These events would come to be known as the February Revolution. During the unrest of 1905, Tsar Nicholas had created a representative assembly to assist in his decision-making, but this body had little real power, being created mostly to appease the public after Bloody Sunday. 
Following Nicholas's abdication, however, this representative assembly, called the State Duma, was now effectively the ruling body of Russia. With their new authority, the State Duma hastily constructed a provisional government to handle the state businesses in the country and began to enact new laws to revive the struggling economy. But this provisional government was fraught with party politics and divisive factionism. Vying for power were many Russian Soviets, a name for councils of workers uniting around a cause. Around this time, a prominent figure rose through the ranks, clinging to the economic philosophies of Karl Marx and advocating for peace, bread, and land for all. His name was Vladimir Lenin. Lenin advocated for the radical left in Russia to cease referring to themselves as socialist, as it was pol a politically charged term at the time. But instead, Lenin proposed the creation of the Russian Communist Party, who would quickly come to be referred to as the Bolsheviks. His opposition was the Mensheviks, a collection of moderate members of the Russian Social Democratic Workers' Party who frowned upon Lenin's radical ideas. Throughout 1917, Contention with the provisional government grew, and in October of 1917, Lenin decided that it was enough. Under the nose of the provisional government, the Bolsheviks had won the loyalty of most of the Russian armed forces, and on October 25th, Lenin set into action the October Revolution as he rallied the Bolshevik armed forces, overthrew the provisional government in Petrograd, murdered former Tsar Nicholas II and his family and claimed victory. But the revolution was not universally celebrated. In the wake of the fall of the provisional government, other political parties viewed the Bolsheviks as too radical. They predicted that their assuming the role of government would lead to another revolution in only a few years, and they banded together to create a loose coalition of monarchist and liberal forces, calling themselves the White Army. Immediately following the October Revolution, they declared war on the Bolsheviks. In response, the Bolsheviks assembled the Red Army, and in July of 1918, the two armies clashed at the city of Tsaritsyn, thus beginning the Russian Civil War. And after four long years of brutal warfare, the Red Army emerged victorious, with the Bolsheviks taking full control of the Russian government and establishing the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, USSR, in 1922. The death toll of the Russian Civil War numbered between 7 million and 12 million. The Russian populace was devastated. Following the war, Lenin grew ill and died in 1924. Through a brief quarrel among his subordinates over who would take his place, one of his chief military commanders finally assumed control. He was a fearsome warrior during the Russian Civil War and had been made the general secretary of the Communist Party following the end of the war he would become a terrifying ruler, and his regime would be forever remembered globally as one of the most oppressive and totalitarian in history. His name was Joseph Stalin. All right, that's it for the episode today. Thank you all for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about the Russian Revolution. I know I did. This is a very fascinating topic that has had repercussions throughout global history, and I really, really enjoyed learning about it. Um, I hope you tune in next week. I'll be back again, and uh, can't wait to tell you all what I'm about to talk about then. All right, see you next week.